to the Big Finish sales event going on now at Bettenhausen Jeep on 159th Street in Tinley Park. Bettenhausen has hundreds of new Jeeps to choose from, including the all-new 2022 Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Your best Jeep buying experience starts now at BettenhausenCDJR.com. Welcome to the Hockey Show, presented by Bettenhausen Automotive in Tinley Park and Orland Park. The Hockey Show. On Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000. 100.3 HD2. And the ESPN Chicago app. Ready for the power play? Here are your hosts, Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle coming to you from the first Midwest Bank Studios in downtown Chicago. Thanks to our great sponsor, Bettenhausen CDJR in Tinley Park. Marc-Andre Fleury comes home with his 500th career victory the other night in his home province of Quebec. What'd you think of that scene, Brian? Pretty cool, wasn't it? You know, some people have a charmed life uh, and and by all counts, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy than Mark Andre Fleury, but to have it in that building uh, with those people, and you know, grew up an hour from Montreal, what a hockey haven that is! What a terrific night! The crowds chanting, you know, because they don't have a lot to chant about with the Habs. But to, yeah, that to is turn a that pathetic f- team to think that they were the Stanley Cup final a year ago. Oh my good lord! My goodness! Yeah, um, yeah. So what? What a what an ideal setting. And for him to come out and take a little victory, you know, raise the stick, come out of the room and have the crowd still cheering him, that's terrific. Yes, it, it was uh, it was storybook. He could not have scripted a better scenario. Uh, he's the fastest goalie in NHL history to get there. Only needed 901 games. He joins a couple other French goalies and Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waugh. Uh, as you mentioned, grew up about, uh, you know, 80 miles away from... The Bell Center in Montreal. So he had plenty of family and friends in attendance, including his wife and kids. That you got to the, the kind of the pressure that goes into you know locking down. It's it's not like when you're going to do it. Uh, it's not if you're going to do it. It's when. And and to think that you know you're 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 on the road and you're kind of having this. You know, the party would have probably traveled to Toronto to see if, if tonight was the night. And actually, he's not going to get the start. It sounds like it, it's going to be Kevin Lincoln and that will go against the Leafs. But, it, it, and it was bizarre. You know, they announced the uh, the three-star selection when it was over. You had the crowd chanting his name at the end. You had uh, all the, the Blackhawks swarm him on the ice. You had uh, the PA announcer announce the number one star being Flurry. And he didn't announce the number two or the number three. And and one of them was a Canadian, and, and he didn't even go out on the ice. So here was Fleury. He was asked about just kind of the oddity of, of being the only uh, star selection. And he had no idea that, that the other two had not been announced. I didn't know. Um, I didn't hear the answer either. But, um, no, it was, it was a little crazy. You know, I still... Goosebumps thinking about it, you know, it was a very nice feeling, and um, to have that such of a great reception in Montreal was um, was awesome. And here's Derek King on the Montreal crowd chanting "Fleury, Fleury, Fleury" as he notched career win number five hundred. This was great. I, I mean, what a classy thing with the the Habs fans, and 
you know, we thought we'd stay on the ice just as coaches just to maybe give them some knuckles, but uh, the fans were, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that before. I thought it was great for the Montreal fans. And then our players were jumping up and down and just, uh, I'm glad it's over with that he got it. So he gets it, and uh, now he's uh, like 191 wins away from the the all-time mark of 691 for uh, Marty Brodeur. To to do that, he would have to average around like 35 to 37 wins a year, and he'd have to do it over a a five-and-a-half-year span. I, I don't think he can get that done. Not at age thirty-seven. Yeah, I was going to say the tender age of thirty-seven. Yeah, it's uh, that's a tall order. Um, But the fact that he got five hundred and nine hundred and one games is remarkable, and in and of itself, right? Yeah, and and think about how this year started, Brian. I mean, do you remember that game in Pittsburgh where he got yanked? Ooh, I mean, like talk about the humiliation. You're you're in your old stomping grounds where you have won three Stanley Cups. And you're beloved, and you probably wanted to end up there anyways when Vegas let you go. And you go there as a member of the Blackhawks, and you are lit up in the first period, and you are yanked, and and you don't even finish the game. Like To think of that Marc-Andre Fleury and the one we saw in Montreal, it feels like two different seasons to me. It really does, and we're about a third of the way through this season as it is. And look, nine and five under Derek King, still ten, fourteen, and two. But the fact that you know they've they've dug that hole and now they're climbing out of that hole. I just looked at the wild card standings; they actually lost ground this week. Yeah. It, it's it's shows you how difficult it's going to be because of the way the season started, and they're eighth in the wild card uh, standings now. The beautiful thing is under Derek King, they haven't lost two games in a row, but they're still not scoring goals. And Derek King talked about it the other night. You know, got, he's probably going to settle in on the power play for a while and see where this goes, but still going to tinker with the lines. And he said he'll probably change them up again tonight until he sees some chemistry. This minus 23 goal differential, I mean, I, I still don't know how you're 9-5 and five when you really can't get four goals a game i mean just that's the anomaly if you get a, a, a four or five goal night it's it's really incredible so they play 26 games to talk about their struggles offensively in those 26 games they've scored two goals or less in 18 of them crazy yeah so like if if that is your your recipe for offense just two goals uh you, you're having to win every night two one two zero and that that's you know not exactly a sustainable model in the National Hockey League, even with the great goaltending that the Hawks have had over the last five weeks between Flurry and Lankin. And they've been the two best as far as uh, save percentage goes, like top three over that span. They were the worst the first five or six weeks of the season. So it's been a complete... About face by the netminders. It's been improvement by the defenders as well. Uh, better job on the forecheck, but still, th- this lack of scoring is uh, is is tough to see. It was nice that Jonathan Taves finally got on the board. He he picked up his first goal of the season in Montreal. Yeah, and now Khrushchev is up next, right? <laughs> he's, yeah. he's he's the next with the most shots on goal without a goal. Um, 
and, and we'll see. You know, Derek King said that once Taves breaks the ice, the uh, you know they'll they'll come fast and and furious. We'll, we'll see if that actually happens, but it's going to take more than that. I mean, they're still trying to figure out other than Debrinket and and Kane. Uh, you know who who's going to add to the scoring on a regular basis. And as long as we're talking about Flurry and celebrating uh, his accomplishments. His name is floating out there as a logical choice to be traded. And we're just talking about realistically, and Kyle Davidson said at his first press conference, the math is not in our favor. So as much as you want to see Marc-Andre Fleury between the pipes, if someone comes, and I don't even know what you can get for him in trade, but you know, in the last week I've seen two or three different places where you know, it's Fleury would make sense for the Oilers, but there's a handful of teams you mentioned 37 last year was contract uh free agent after the year was kind of wavering about when it, whether he wanted to get here and then when things weren't going well when he got here initially you know what are the chances he's sticking around after this season anyway uh, and, and what can you get for for a guy even playing as well as he is given his age and and being out of contract oh i think you can get something for him i i think you can get a for sure a second round pick I was thinking third, but yeah, I think you can get a second rounder. Depending, maybe if you package him with somebody else, Strom. Uh, if you package him with Strom, yeah, I, I, you I might get a fourth. Yeah, if, <laughs> <laughs> so you bring Dylan Strom up. I'm glad you did because yeah. he was a healthy scratch the other night, and it yeah. comes on the heels of him actually playing his best hockey of the season. It was a little bit of a head scratcher for a team that lacks offense and that has such a difficult time uh, generating goals to take a playmaker off the ice and then see, you know, see guys like uh, Reese Johnson on the second line and Borgstrom centering, you know, Patrick Kane and DeBrinket and, uh, you know, Khrushchev being on the third line. You're like, wow. I mean, if, if Dylan Strome can't, can't crack the, the top 12, when this team is struggling mightily offensively and he's actually putting up some some points, he's never going to see well, the ice. And I'm glad you said that because I thought it was a Jeremy Colleton problem, right? Right. And supposedly, you know, from all reports from our guys covering the team uh, on the road, uh, Derek King had an animated conversation with him uh, after the, the skate, the morning skate. And then for him to come out and talk about trust factor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was pretty damning stuff. Well, look, right? it, it is. And it, it this comes down to how Dylan plays away from the puck. This is not about the offensive side of Dylan. Um, basically, Derek King said this. It's a trust factor. Late in the game, I'm going with three lines. Is he going to be the guy on one of those three lines? Right now, we're just not trusting each other on that extent. He has a lot more to give. Has he been playing better? Yes, but it's not all about points. So this is about this is about effort defensively. This is about his responsibility in the neutral zone, in the defensive zone. And if you and this is the stuff that doesn't necessarily show up when you're watching the game on TV because they're following the puck. It's what he is doing away from the puck. And I have to tell you, the games I've been at the United Center watching that it leaves a lot to be desired. And you would think that a player of his stature who, you know, he's making uh, 
some good money. I mean, he's making $3 million. $3 million and yeah. he's got a brother that plays for the Rangers and another brother that's in the, in the NHL as well, in the minors. And he's sitting in, in the press box. His best friend is Alex Dabrinkit. And Alex went through some big-time struggles a couple years ago when he only had 18 goals. So what did, what did Alex decide to do that year? He decided to find another way to contribute to this team. And he picked up his game defensively. And so a little guy who was not known for uh, his tenacity, his uh, puck retrieval, his defensive skills, he honed that craft. And then the scoring came. And it came back in bunches. And now he's married a great defensive play and a stellar offensive play into a well-rounded, complete player who's being mentioned in superstar status and going to the Olympics to represent Team USA. And I wish Dylan would use his best friend, Alex it as an example of you got to you, you you gotta understand what it needs what needs to happen to stay in this league. And you he knows he needs to work on the defensive side. He knows he needs to have a little more bite to his game. It's it's he's never going to be uh this dogged four checker. It, that's never gonna happen. But he can pick it up a little bit, and it just well, doesn't seem that there doesn't seem to be that sense of urgency. Well, and I said when Stan Bowman was still around, you know, it's time to to move him and and end this thing because he was so buried in Carlton's doghouse, and and now when you have Derek King saying what he said this week about him, the three million works against you in trade, but they don't want to give him away because twenty four and because of where he was drafted. I get that. But at some point, you just have to cut your losses and, and cut the cord here. And so, I mean. Well, here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing they're getting like max fifth round pick yeah, for him. No, and and, I, and they I, want him. And then they want the Hawks to pick up pick part up of that three stuff. million. Right. So and they don't want to do at. that. Well, that okay, and but what what is going to change appreciably between you know with him sitting in the press box? Yeah, that that's a good point. I mean, and, and so, so I would ask our Hawks fans out there: one, you know, are you okay if uh, if if Kyle Davidson says, you know, I got I, someone's offering me substantial uh, assets for Mark Andre Fleury, and as terrific as he is, and how many games he's actually put in the win column for this team, the prudent thing is to move him um, sooner than later, and. You know, Strom, I think it's just a matter of when he's going, but each week he's not playing, and, and, and I don't see how you're going to improve anything, you know, the return you're going to get on him. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, because the numbers are the numbers still, and they're still buried well back in the wild card race. So you have to look, judge, I know they want to be a playoff team. You have to judge big picture and, and future with the here and now, and it's a tough balancing act when the team is playing well enough, but needs to be played better to put themselves firmly in a playoff, you know, picture. What's the future of Dylan Strom? Will Mark Andre Fleury finish his season with the Chicago Blackhawks? Three one two three three two three seven seven six. And how will the Hawks handle the high flying Toronto Maple Leafs tonight in Canada? Hockey night in Canada's. David Amber will join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll get the latest on whether or not the NHL will take part in the Olympics. This is the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. 
The Hockey Show, presented by Bettenhausen Automotive. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Listen on the ESPN Chicago app, on the FM 100.3 HD2, and on ESPN 1000. The Hockey Show. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Trying to defend, which is a hard thing to do. Short-handed, the puck goes right by him, and a good save by Power with the shoulder. And there goes Allen, six attackers again. Centering pass, Sherrod. Big save by Fleury. Rebound. Another save by Fleury on Drew Ann, who had a point blank. Fleury, Fleury is the champ from the home side for the French-Canadian netminder who picks up his 500th career win, his 69th shutout. That's the Hall of Famer, Pat Foley, with the call on NBC Sports Chicago the other night. Marc-Andre Fleury, the fastest goalie in NHL history to 500 career wins. There's only three of them. Fleury, Brodeur, and Wah. And uh, we get to see one of those guys on a semi-nightly basis here in Chicago. Welcome back to the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Brian Hanley. Pat Boyle with you each and every week. So the Hawks have won uh, nine of 14 since Derek King took over. They'll take on the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. We'll get going with the pregame show at 530 uh, for that one. Uh, your, your thoughts on what you've seen. They've been a lot of tinkering with the power play here over the last few games and uh, including breaking up. Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinkit, they were reunited the other night in Montreal. But uh, what have you seen from the power play, which was, that was the one feather in Jeremy Colleton's cap, so to speak, uh, the first five, six weeks of the season that they were a top 10 power play. And that was the the area of uh, emphasis that he focused on as a coach. Uh, it has not been a strength of this team over the last six weeks. No, it absolutely needs to be when you're still lasting five-on-five goal ratio, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've got to take advantage uh, when you get the power play and that they're not doing that near enough right now. So, you know, I, I'm for Derek King doing whatever tinkering he needs to do till they, they start getting that right because it just seems like this team, I don't want to say has no answers five-on-five, but it I don't know what he can do. Uh, I don't know. There's no nuclear option here, right? Maybe, right. Maybe now that Taves is on, uh, you know, finally on the score sheet with a goal, he, you know, his confidence, everything gets going. I don't know, um, but you know, the, he's still supposedly his energy gets sapped easily because of um, the the surge that he had last year, right? So he's he's still not a hundred percent, or it still takes a lot out of him. But that has to get going because it just, I looking at this roster, I don't short of making a trade for Mark Andre Fleury and getting. Even you know, even if it's not a, a a top draft pick, if you just want to get a guy who can be slide in as a top six forward and get just some scoring, you might have to go that route. Yeah, what did you think about the the hit on Jujar Kara the other night by uh, Jacob Truba of the Rangers? I, I looked at it many times. I don't think it was dirty. I, I think he just he had his head down and yeah. and he his head snapped on the ice. It wasn't like it was into the boards, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. You feel like some there should be some punishment for a hit like that, but sometimes hockey is just hockey, and it was scary. It reminded me of Michelle Goulet up in Montreal one time where he was wheeled off on a stretcher, 
and everyone's holding their breath, right? And, yeah. And when you when you go to enough hockey games, or the, certainly when you play enough hockey games, you're going to see that, or and, and sometimes you're going to be that guy on the stretcher. It's just it's a very tough sport, and the, I mean, there's no two ways around it. Sometimes you you end up in the hospital. I I'm glad they say that it's a significant injury, but 100, you know, uh, he's going to be 100 percent healthy at some point in time. They won't give you a timeline, but for a minute there, he just you know he's got blood on his face, he's not moving. And here comes he was motionless for 40 seconds, Brian. I know. And, I know. And, and he's laying there while the ref... That was the weird thing. To be at the United Center and to see him laying there on the ground motionless. It's, and it's, and the referees are trying to sort out you know, the scrum that had ensued. And, and no one is coming to his assist for the first you know, 10 to 15 seconds. It was like, screw those guys. Get to the right? guy laying on the ground. Yeah, it's, on the ice. it's beyond scary. And you know, you want to look away. And again, it's when you're there watching it in person, too, you're just like, you know, everyone's saying a little prayer. I yeah. I, so, you know? like, there's a couple things about this play. Uh, a, you're right. He was looking down. He was trying to find the puck. But, you know, Rick Tockett brought up a, a, a great point on TNT the other night. The puck is there. And, and as coaches, they're told to teach. If the puck is available, you play the puck. And so the, the, the puck is available for Truba to play. He decides not to. He plays the body. So if this if the league really wants to cut down on hits like this, then they're going to have to adjust the, the way they call it. And incidental contact to the head is going to need to be uh, broadened and and part of hits to the head. So like targeting a football, Ta- something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I was I was trying to discuss this with uh, with Charlie Romeliotis uh, on a on a recent podcast about in the NFL how they have hitting a defenseless receiver. Right. So like a, a, a receiver has his head turned, and you know. He whips his head around, and the contact is made by the safety or the defensive back, and he's deemed uh, defenseless, and it's a penalty. But if, if you do that in hockey for every player that has their head down, you, you know now you're rewarding the offensive player for playing the game the wrong way. You're not supposed right. to, to play with your head down all the time. You have to have your head. And then you're going to have coaches say, well, you know what? Hey, if that's what they're calling, play play with your head down because it's going to result in two minutes for us. So, like, I At don't minimum, I, right? Yeah, and, and I just don't think there's there's a simple answer to this. But uh, I, I did I do think, like, if if the puck is available to be played and you go for the body – and you don't make an attempt to to make a play on the puck, then that should also be factored in. And and Truba clearly went body over puck there. So is it a minor? I mean, when when you look at, I mean, when you look at a guy getting wheeled off in a stretcher, you're thinking, well, a two minute minor isn't enough either, right? right? I mean, uh, I, it's it's just look. I'm I'm always screaming that the NHL has to clean up all the hits around the boards, right? I'm. You know, two games isn't enough. Whatever. Sometimes I think you know they, the whoever delivered the illegal hit that sent a guy off for ten games should have to sit out as long as the guy is out unhealthy, you know, with a concussion or whatever. And that's the other thing. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got a history of concussions. 
um, and, and you know even last year. So it's it's scary. I mean, it's I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts thinking about do I want to come back and keep doing this. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, coming up next, we're going to chat with Hockey Night in Canada's David Amber. He was at uh, the Board of Governors meeting this week in Florida. A lot of discussion about whether or not the NHL will go to China and participate in the Olympics in February. The deadline is January 10th. We'll get the latest on that. His thoughts on tonight's tilt between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Blackhawks as well. It's all coming up next. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. You're listening to The Hockey Show. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. The Hockey Show. Presented by Bettenhausen Automotive. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We're back on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Brian Hanley, Pat Boyle with you. Blackhawks taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. 5.30 pregame show for that. Joining us now from uh, TSN, Hockey Night in Canada, David Amber. David, how you doing this morning? Good. You want some old school pump up the jam for me? Is yeah, that what I you know, we got to try to keep it real for you, David. Hey, t- tough assignment this week. You had to go to the Port of Governors meeting uh, in West Palm Beach. Uh, three week quarantine in China is uh, what the NHL is uh, discussing right now and debating whether or not the players want to be a part of something like that. What did you hear at those meetings in Florida and what is the likelihood that the NHL pulls out of the winter games? Well, that's a great question, and, and that's sort of the $64,000 question right now. And listen, Pat, you're a parent, I'm a parent. You know when you, you say to your kids, look, you can do this if you want, but you know you might want to think about it before you do it. There will be consequences, and you know you have that sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. It felt like that's what Gary Bettman was doing yesterday. He was saying, well, it's in our agreement. We're going to allow the players to go if they really want to go. Uh, you know, the appetite for the owners, for the players to go participate in Beijing is negligible at best. And the league is concerned because the league is concerned that, you know, you're going to go send your, your top 120 players from the league there and someone or a group of them are going to come down with COVID and be stuck in Beijing for, you know, at this point, an undetermined amount of time. And it's going to be disruptive to your season. And, you know, the NHL, what the way it was put to us when we were asked about the likelihood of the NHL telling the players you cannot go, uh, uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly basically said it would take, you know, a real disruptive situation, a situation, um, you know, where there was mass, uh, a mass COVID outbreak on a number of teams um, really messing up the schedule. We've seen two teams, Ottawa and the Islanders, already have to have games rescheduled this year, but it would take more than sort of uh, an idle one or two games of a specific team to, to stop the league and, and make them say to the players, you can't go. So we're waiting to see, you know, it's such a fluid situation. I'm not sure what things are like in Chicago right now, but I know I can tell you in Ontario, I live in Toronto and in our province of Ontario, we had 1600 cases today, which was the most we've had in seven months. So we're not trending well right now. And if that trend continues and we continue to see teams 
having to miss games and reschedule games, and I'd say there's a, a great possibility the NHL might step in, intervene, and tell the players, look, it's just not in anyone's best interest to go. They, is it just COVID? Because, um, you know, back when they started going to uh, the Olympics in Nagano, I think there are a lot of owners who, and look, Bill Wirtz at the time was dead set against it. Some of the old school owners didn't want anything to do with it, didn't want to suspend their season for any amount of time. But people who thought that you could grow the game by being part of a worldwide event like that, um, it seemed like the players and owners, there were, there were a, a good number of owners who wanted to go that. Has that changed appreciably? Is it all about COVID? Well, that's a great question. I think COVID is, is the biggest concern in wrinkle because remember when they when they preempted the last CBA they they jumped in they signed an extension and one of the contingencies of that contention uh, of that extension was the players saying we really want to be back in the Olympics because they had no appetite to go to to South Korea and Pyeongchang a few years ago there was a much greater appetite to go to China with 1.8 billion people or 2.1 billion people whatever it is at this point um, and they did see an opportunity maybe to to, you know, it's not so much there's going to be an NHL team in China as much as it is from a marketing and sponsorship perspective. That could have been a, a good business situation for the NHL. Um, you know, I don't know how it's changed since 1998, but I do see there has been some appreciable growth in the game. I mean, look at the players that are now coming out of Switzerland, coming out of Germany, right? Like Leon Dreisaitl, you know, I'm not going to say he was a direct product of what happened in Nagano, but it did encourage on a more global scale the game. And I think it did shine a brighter light and illuminate some of the greatness in the game of hockey. So I think there has been some value. And I think some of the owners, certainly some of the more progressive owners have probably seen the benefit there. Um, There's always going to be, you know, owners who are strictly business though, Brian, right. Who are just like, why would I want to not have my, my season, uh, going full out in the middle of February. Yeah, and, and David, uh, and Hockey Night in Canada's David Amber joins us on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Um, Brian and I disagree on this. Brian doesn't think that that it, it, it he wants to see NHL players go. I think it's good for the game. I'm about growing the game. I think it's it's probably one of the, the bright spots of the Winter Olympics is, uh, is the hockey tournament, so to speak, mm-hmm. and um, I think it does grow the game. And I think, you know, if there's one area, and we've talked about this in the past, like we've got two players tonight in Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane who put a show on at the United Center about three years ago, uh, going back and forth. And I would say to anybody, like if if there was a, uh, if you were on the fence about the NHL, watch this game. And what did we see in that game? We saw personality. Right. Mm-hmm. We saw swag. We saw something that you don't see a ton of in the National Hockey League on a nightly basis. And if if we want to grow this game and the players uh, want to step out a little bit and and be a part of, you know, the fact that that a kid in Chicago can love Connor McDavid the way he loves mm-hmm. Patrick Kane. I do think the Olympics serves as a a. Um, a valuable piece of property to grow this sport. Where do you stand on uh, on the Olympics and it, it being a tool to grow the game? Uh, you know, listen, I, I hate to, to have to side with one of you, but, you know, Pat, I'm going to side with you in this one. Sorry, Brian. I, you know, I just selfishly, uh, the idea of, you know, Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid both putting on the Canadian sweater uh, at the same time, right? Two generational players. Just the idea of Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane getting to share the ice with the brilliance that they bring. 
I mean, these are exciting things for me as just a pure hockey fan. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to be able to go to some of the Olympics. I was there in Salt Lake in 2002. I was in Sochi in 2014. Those are pretty epic moments to, to be there and watch the, the level of pride that these guys play with. Um, you know, it, it's really, to me, the, the greatest players and some of the greatest moments I can remember in hockey have happened in international competitions, whether we go all the way back to the 1987, you know, series where Gretzky and Lemieux got the team up and there was an incredible final against Russia. I mean, there's just some really fun moments there and you get to see hockey played at its best, most elite level. I really don't see a downside to it. I understand with COVID, if the idea that the, the NHL season would get interrupted, you know, we're already pushing into the middle of July. We really can't have NHL games much later than that. I do understand COVID's put a wrinkle in it, but the idea of, should NHL players go to the Olympics, I'm, I'm all for it. Speaking of great players, we were talking about the Marc-Andre Fleury's 500th win, 901 games, he gets 500 victories, yeah. 69 shutouts. Um, now you see his name popping up in the rumor mill, and it makes sense mm-hmm. um, given his age and his contract and, and how well he's playing. Um, if you're Kyle Davidson sitting in the big chair, uh, what would make you pull the trigger on that? Is it just realistic that it's more likely than not that you you move him before the deadline? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. His name is is popping up. And you look at teams that, you know, Chicago's not trying to, I shouldn't say not trying, They're not, there's no expectation for Chicago to win a Stanley Cup or make, you know, deep roads into the playoffs this year. You guys know that. Uh, but teams like Colorado, this is it, right? This is their time. And what's missing in Colorado, arguably, you know, Darcy Kemper can't stay healthy is an elite goalie, a goalie who's won three Stanley Cups before. What's missing in Edmonton, you have McDavid, Drysaddle, you have Mike Smith, who's injured, you have Koskinen, who you can't trust. That's what's missing. Um, You know, it's going to be very interesting. He's going to be fielding some calls. And, you know, what would get him to pull the trigger? That's a great question. I mean, the expectation generally in these situations for a rental-type situation is at least a first-round pick, right? And depending, if Marc-Andre Fleury keeps playing the way he's been playing the last few weeks, and, you know, he looks a lot more like the Vesna winner from a year ago uh, than, than not recently. That could be the final piece for a certain team, and you might be able to leverage it into more than a first-round pick, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that's great for Chicago when you get you know, can add, let's say, two big building pieces moving forward. That would be a pretty good sell for the Chicago Blackhawks, I think. Great week for the NHL. Probably the goal of the year thus far, the Zegras Ali Oop to Sonny Milano was uh, was awesome, uh, and th- then we also on the flip side had the the Jacob Truba hit on Jujar Kara. Not a penalty, not disciplined by the NHL. Um, look, I think it's a it's a hockey play gone bad. I think it, I I think it was you know by the letter of the law clean. Uh, could Truba have played the puck? Yeah, he could have. He went for the body. Uh, if you really want to eradicate hits to the head, you probably need to broaden the scope of, of how you call that type of play. How did you see it? Well, I want to start by saying I'm really happy to hear Jujar Karras, you know, on the road to recovery. He's, he's a great guy. I've dealt with him a number of times uh, when he was up with the Edmonton Oilers and very good person. Um, I, I thought the, the hit was, was clean. I thought he went through the chest, and unfortunately the momentum and, and Karras had been down and tilted at the position it was, uh, you know, contributed to the injury. Uh, and his past, you know, here history of concussions as well probably played a factor. No one wants to see anyone get hit, um, but I do think, in the essence of what hockey is, it's hard to eliminate, you know, full body, big contact hits like that, and, and not lose some of what makes the game great. Um, you know, 
and there's always going to be that margin of there, there is going to guys guys who get injured. Uh, I, I thought the hit was clean. I thought the hit the following night from Trubon McKinnon was clean as well. Um, you know, it's just I, I think it's one of those things. Now you you mark oh Truba's on the ice. I better have my head on a yeah. swivel. And there's certain guys in the league that you have to have that for. Uh, again, it's an it was an unfortunate situation um, that it, that it happened that way. But I don't see the hit as is dirty in itself. And I don't want to make more rules to to remove hits like that because I do think you know Pat, you and I have loved the game for a long time. I mean, I, I do think that's part of what makes the game so fast and physical and fun is that there is that you know wow. That guy got crunched. And not to be taken off on a stretcher, but wow, there is a physical element to the game, and I don't want that to go away. Real quickly, uh, uh, David, I, I, I know West Palm, uh, one thing about owners, they don't have meetings in Winnipeg. They always go somewhere nice. Um, but I saw, I think it was Scott Powers in The Athletic wrote that when the executive owners committee met, Gary Bettman was out in the hallway for about 25 mm-hmm. minutes. And normally, as a commissioner, he's in in that meeting. So, yes. He was speculating, were they working on an extension for Gary Bettman? Were they working mm-hmm. on who's going to replace Gary Bettman? Um, I, you know, I, I know he's getting older and up there in years, and a lot of different things have gone on with the league, but I, I, I was kind of surprised to see even a little bit of speculation that uh, his time might be up. How do, how do you read that? Well, we, we asked. He was asked about that yesterday, and I'll be brief with this, but he was asked, uh, you know, we understand they might have been discussing a possible extension for you. What can you tell us? And, and, you know, Gary Patman had a pretty smug look on his face, and he said, let me put it this way, I plan to be around a long, long time. He said it exactly like that. Uh, He's been in the chair since 1993, guys, and he pointed out yesterday, League revenues were at $437 million when he entered the league in 1993. They're now at five-plus billion dollars. The owners love Gary Bettman, and rightfully so. Franchises are worth uh, incredible evaluations. We saw Pittsburgh just got sold for somewhere in the neighborhood of $900 million. Uh, that's not insignificant, right, from where they were when they almost left Pittsburgh and, and Mario had to jump into the ownership fray a couple of decades ago. So this is uh, this. it's been very good financially for the league, and I know Gary will have some detractors out there, but he's done a very good job to the people who employ him, and that's the the owners of the National Hockey League. All right, hockey night in Canada tonight. Uh, you go in double breasted suit. Are you going to try to upstage <laughs> Elliot Freeman? I, I can never upstage Elliot. He's got those crazy uh, turtlenecks and everything else going on. I just try and stay low and stay out of the out of the problems. But I don't know. I, you know we have actually a wardrobe person named Deb Berman, and she picks out our suits and. Oh, really? Again, like, so wow. you don't even know what you're going to wear. The, the wardrobe. Wow. Yeah, you need to get on that program. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. All right, so, well, we should, well, listen, yeah. Hopefully, uh, Matthews and Kane put on a show tonight I in Toronto. So. I mean, the, the, the Hawks have been struggling to score, but they've been finding ways to win. Uh, is, is this the best Leafs team you've seen in a long time? Oh, boy, Pat, that's a great question, man. Uh, listen, <laughs> We always, not I shouldn't say we always, for the last four or five years, you're watching the Leafs and you're saying, wow, and they're a great regular season team and it just doesn't come together in the playoffs. I will say this, they, they do seem more dedicated to defense and to playing the game a full 200 feet that they've been in previous years. It used to be a really a matter of let's outscore our mistakes. They're not amongst the, the league leaders in goals scored this year. They're in the middle of the pack but they're very good at keeping the puck out of their net. So does that allow itself for more of a playoff style uh, you know, success, that's the belief. Um, they have shown a level of team toughness that they haven't shown in the past. Jason Spetz is out right now with a six-game suspension, and that was basically defending a teammate, Rasmus Sandin, who suffered a knee injury on a knee-on-knee hit from Neil Pionk. And Spetz, uh, 
you know, basically a dirty play went after Pionk, but it was met with some celebrated, uh, you know, enthusiasm uh, by certain, you know, Toronto fans just saying, hey, this is sort of the team toughness that's been lacking in previous playoff exits. So, I, you know, I'd like to think this is the best iteration we've seen of the Leafs in, in some time. But again, everything in Toronto, I can tell you, is going to come down to whoever they match up in that first round. Can they get past the first round for the first time since 2004? That's the big question. None of this will matter if they lose again in the first round. David, stay healthy. Thank you for joining us. and Looking forward to a good one tonight between the Leafs and the Blackhawks. Yeah, happy holidays, guys. Thanks for having me on, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. That's David, Thanks, David. That's David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada on Sportsnet. Uh, Mike Milbury takes a shot at Derek King. It's a head-scratcher for me. That's coming up next. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. This hour is brought to you by Northwestern Basketball, Chicago's Big Ten team. Coach Collins and the Cats host NJIT on Sunday. Tip-off is set for 3 p.m. Buy tickets now at nusports.com. You're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Bettenhausen Automotive. Call us or tweet your comments to at ESPN1000. The Hockey Show. This is ESPN1000, Chicago's home for sports. One timers. One timer by Albertson. It's gone. On the hockey show. One time shot. On ESPN 1000. Time for one timers here on the hockey show on ESPN 1000. Brian Hanley, Pat Boyle with you. I don't know where you stand on Mike Milbury. Never really a fan of his. Did not appreciate his work at all on NBC. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I, I didn't feel Tell he, like it is. Pat. Don't I, just, I don't it. feel he was well informed. I, I did not like his takes most of the time. Abrasive uh, is what he is. Yeah. Just, uh, just, just blowing hot air up there and, and wasting everybody's <laughs> time. Uh, some people don't realize that, you know, he was a coach in this league. I think for oh, like yeah. six years had a sub 500 record. He coached Derek King uh, when he was with the Islanders, listen to Milbury on his podcast taking a shot, big time shot at Derek King. But if, if, if he can't, if he can't face the music, somebody else has to step up, and it's not going to be Derek King, their coach. Who I just saw him in an interview today, and I, I was falling asleep watching it. I mean, this guy—if anybody thinks this guy can coach an NHL team, they're they're nuts. This guy is, you know, I as I had him as a player, he was laconic, lazy, whatever you want to call it, even if he had some talent. But listening to him talk as if he were a coach, I mean, talk about the opposite of inspiration. It's uh, it's it's boring. And if I were Jonathan Taves, that'd be another reason for me to want to change the music. Wow. Tell us what you think, Mike. Oh, I mean, lazy as a player. Okay. Yeah. Um, boring as a coach. And he was a pretty accomplished player, right? Yes. And and arguably right now, probably. Over, over 600 points in this yeah. league. Yeah, right now he might arguably be a better coach than Mike Milbury ever was um, for a league that likes to recycle guys who've had opportunities. You know, no one's ringing Mike Milbury's phone, right, to say, hey, you want another shot at that? They're not um, ringing his phone for, for coaching or for broadcasting because there are plenty right. of seats that were available and, uh, you know, he's sitting somewhere in Boston doing his podcast, taking shots at uh, former players. 
I don't care if you heard a press conference and it didn't excite you. He's won nine of fourteen games. He's been a breath of fresh air since. I don't think. I don't think Scotty Bowman was a two drink minimum for his yeah, press conference. Exactly. I'm pretty sure. I mean, Ozzie Guillen, two drink minimum. Yes, you want to sit yes. in the dugout with him. Tip and your waitresses mo- with Ozzie. Most for stories sure. started with, well, yeah, we were drunk and we were at the bullfights. It always started with we were drunk. And then he would tell a great story. Um, yeah, you don't have to be, you know, chuckles the clown, uh, you know, with a red nose trying to entertain people. You just have to know what you're doing. Nine and five for a team that was. You know, looking for a pulse before he was promoted from Rockford. Uh, I like what I've seen from Derek King so far. That's all I can tell you. I, I completely agree with you, and I thought it I, it was a, a desperate uh, conversation that Milbury was having on his podcast. And I hate to even give it the light of day, but it, it, it was just, I don't know, I thought it was completely unwarranted. Want, you know, so, you know, we talked about how the Hawks have lost ground in the wild card race because Vancouver's won three in a row under Bruce Boudreau, right? Yes. I mean, it's like... You get a little bump because there's a guy who knows how to coach, and Mike Yo is now in Philadelphia. Um, I, I was trying to remember how many times in the I don't know, last twenty years you've seen this number of coaches launch before you know middle of December. We've it's, seen uh, it, I think, kind of a lot in the NHL lately, and it and and there usually is a bump. Like we'll see the Brood, the Boudreaux effect in Vancouver uh, as uh, as Jim Rutherford has taken over there the head of uh, hockey operations. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, where the, the search goes on the Blackhawks side. I, I understand that there have been uh, some meetings so far with some candidates, but um, mm-hmm. it sounds like they're, you know, they're going to take their time and do an exhaustive search. As well they should. And if Derek King's the best guy, they will certainly have enough body of work to, to evaluate that as such, right? Exactly. Our thanks to uh, Tyler Aki, our producer. Thanks to our sponsor, Bettenhausen, who... Uh, it was a great job with us, and we appreciate uh, their sponsorship of the show. Uh, coming up next, it's Fred and Xander. They'll get you ready for Bears-Packers tomorrow night at uh, Lambeau Field. And uh, how, how does the rest of your Saturday shake up before you uh, you take in the Blackhawks well, and Leafs? Well, you know, the old alma mater is uh, hosting UCLA, number four UCLA, and, and the Bruins had plane problems last night. The game was supposed to be at, what, um, about noon Must be today. One thirty today, yeah. One thirty a day, and now it's at eight thirty. So because really? they got, yeah, so, and they got the bump so, to FS two also. Yeah, from Fox to FS two. But all those people who are planning on going to the game, all those poor people working at the arena, uh, you know, that's a lot of logistics switch for seven hours. But there you have it. So I'll be, uh, I'll be watching that later. This all evening. right, that's as that- well as the Hawks. I got two TVs. All right, we'll, we'll uh, you'll, you'll be working uh, the remote a little bit with the two TVs. Uh, we will see at five thirty for the pregame show, Hawks and Leafs. Uh, Fred and Xander are coming up next. Brian, have a great week. I'll talk to you next Saturday. Take care, Pat. That's going to do it for the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000.